Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you ate before the show, because you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to Harvesting Nature's Wild Fishing Game Podcast. You got your host here, Justin Townsend, and uh, as always, we have a very special episode for you. So, uh, not only do I have uh, guests today, but I have more than one guest with us, and uh, I would say that these guests became uh, acquaintances over this past weekend, so I uh, is, is a way to combine the updates and sort of what happened in the the intro to the show here i will let you all know that uh i traveled up to visit Corey this past weekend and uh it was uh cory what is it the what weekend is this of the flintlock season it was, was like it? the second to last weekend so it was, okay it was late so, in the um, season yep do you want to explain um in kind of the the flintlock specialness in Pennsylvania and, and how it's very unique. <laughs> well, Pennsylvania is the only state that has a flintlock only season. And if uh, we recorded an episode about this time last year that went into all the details of what a flintlock is and what you need to shoot it and all the equipment that's required to shoot one. So we'll put a link in the show notes to that episode so you can listen to all the different things that um, we have to have in order to to hunt but um, yeah yeah and and that one was uh that's the mountain men of Pennsylvania wasn't that yep. that, that was yep. the name of that, that episode I believe was it. so 
So kind of what I want to do to differentiate this episode from that episode is we're not going to get as much into the technical side of it because we've already covered that. And if you want to hear that, you can listen back on it. But I want to talk about uh, kind of just like the flintlock, the hunting part, as well as the uh, the uniqueness of a deer drive because I never I had never done that before. So it's uh, I'm very excited. I was very excited to participate in that and still am very excited. We'll go to that. Let's uh, let me get a bit of news out of the way, and then we'll dig into the heart of the show here. So, um, if you guys listened up to the last episode, that you will hear that we formally announced that we're doing some projects uh, here at Harvesting Nature. So, uh, first up, we obviously have our cooking classes, which if you go down on the show notes, you can click on that. So, we're doing cooking classes virtually about every other week, and uh, they're varied in the meats we're doing. You can substitute domestic meat for it, but the preference is naturally wild game. So, go take a look at that. That's it. Uh, harvestingnature.com slash cooking class uh, that is there and you can go visit that anytime links also in the show notes also too we're going to be releasing some spice blends hopefully in February we're kind of in the final proofing stage of those as we test out some blends and uh, select which ones we want to deliver to you I believe the first one we're going to release is going to be our big game blend and that's going to be uh very specific for anything with uh, antlers, horns, or hide. So uh, that should go good with all those red meats. So look for that coming up in, in February, and we'll continue to keep you updated on the status of that. And then probably the biggest bit of news is is coming out uh, the end of the first quarter here of 2022. We're going to be releasing a magazine. It's going to be a quarterly magazine that's going to be uh, both digital and you will have the ability to print it on demand and it'll get shipped to your house. So we will have subscriptions available for those. Um, we are working on content now. As we move down the road, we may open that content up uh, beyond our staff. But I think right now we're chugging along pretty well with, with the folks here. So looking forward to providing some more uh, more polished recipes and adventure stories and things like that. And when you think about the concept of this magazine, you know, you get into a lot of magazines and you've got guys taking $35,000 trips to Africa and, you know, the Alps and doing all these crazy things. Well, our magazine's really focused on the food, but it's also focused on the outdoor adventures of the everyday uh, person. So the everyday hunter, the everyday angler, the everyday forager, the everyday cook. We're really looking to tell the stories that you can relate with and uh, can enjoy as well. So uh, it, it, you don't always have to go on to far, some far off continent to go experience a great adventure. You can oftentimes do it just in your own backyard. So that'll kind of be where our magazine set out. Uh, look for that sometime in March and uh, uh, we'll make definitely make announcements and keep you updated on that. So those are kind of the big pieces of news that I wanted to share. And then uh, I'll go around the room and give everybody just a chance to introduce himself. You guys heard Corey's voice. Uh, so Corey, go ahead. Introduce yourself once more. Corey, I've been on this podcast uh, one or two times and uh, yeah. All right, we got uh, Rod with us too. Rod, you want to give yourself yeah, a never brief been introduction? I've podcast before. I'm new to this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, first podcast. First podcast. <laughs> okay, yeah. You're doing great so far. <laughs> and uh, Chris, uh, you want to introduce yourself as well? Yeah. Um, my name's uh, Christopher. 
Uh, this is the third or fourth year I've done the drive with these guys. It's a lot of fun to be part of. I appreciate it. Yeah, and it's uh so both um you know as I said earlier I visited Corey stayed with Corey for the couple of days I was there uh, and then both Chris and Rod uh, were participants. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Is it sitters and pushers or I believe I sitters and pushers. Sitters and pushers. Okay, so uh, people participate in various elements throughout the day. So it's a uh, it's it's hard to get get it uh, exact who who did what in specific moments. But um, um, all right, Corey, do you want to lay out? So let's talk a little bit about uh, kind of my travels. So from the get go, it yeah, was a little bit challenging. Ran into a few uh, obstacles before you even got into the woods. Yeah. So we we'd been talking about, and if you think about the podcast episode, I I've mentioned a couple times, like I, I wanted to go do this hunt in Pennsylvania with Corey and visit and hang out and, you know, shoot flintlocks at whitetail deer. And so, uh, very almost to last minute, uh, about a week ahead of actually going, uh, we finalized it and pulled the trigger and I was like, all right, I'm coming. So, um, I took a red eye out of Denver on Thursday. So, I arrived at the airport at like 10:30 Thursday night. My flight left at one o'clock in the morning on Friday, and I landed. I went through Charlotte, Charlotte to Buffalo, New York, and and um, flying into you, Buffalo, New York, in January is a risky proposition. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, what was the prediction? You sent me a screenshot like yeah, on it was Thursday like, during the uh, day. Um, forecasted of getting 12 inches of snow that day, something like that, 12 or 12 and a half inches of snow. And, uh, which is, which is not uncommon for Buffalo or that area. Um, it just happened to be the day that you flew in. Yeah. Which, you know, uh, thankfully enough though, I did make it into Buffalo. So, uh, once I made it into Buffalo, I had been checking my flights the whole, you know, all of Thursday. And then kind of, as I was transit, I was keeping an eye out. Cause I wasn't really worried about the Denver to Charlotte leg. I was more worried about the Charlotte to Buffalo leg with, with uh, planes landing in snow. I don't think they're made to do that. Uh, so that's something that I had to keep an eye out for, but, uh, I landed in Buffalo and then Corey checked the weather for me and kind of what was the layout of the, uh, of the clouds and snow. I think. By then, it was, wasn't it uh, blue skies by the time you landed? Yep. Yep. Buffalo was blue skies, but there was a big, I think the snowstorm had actually shifted a little south, right? Oh, yeah. It right? came, it hit between Buffalo and where I live. So you had to drive through it. Yeah. You had to drive through. So I, I went and. I went and picked up my rental car, which was like this little uh, two-wheel drive. And I sat in the parking lot for a while, uh, and I was contemplating going back and asking for like a four-wheel drive SUV. But I was like, no, you know what? Actually, I went back in, and the line was even longer than when I, I was there. And we were trying to make a time crunch so that we could hunt that evening. So I was like, you know what? I'll just kind of deal with it. So I had this little... Uh, a Hyundai front-wheel drive car, and I was like, off I go. Well, it wasn't bad going through the interstate. Like, half of the trip's on the interstate. The other half, you're kind of going down a, like, two-lane highway. Um, it, it wasn't bad till I got off the highway, cruising down a little bit, probably about 20 miles. And then the, the snow just kind of started cranking up, 
And uh, at one point, I, I was driving through this little town, and it had me route off of the, the main road and turn into the town and go kind of down their main street. And then it had me turn on a, an even smaller county road. Well, at this point in that little town, it looked like there was probably six or seven inches accumulated already as I was driving. And then I turned down this road and there was like no tracks, uh, maybe a set or two. And then the houses, there were very sparse houses throughout. Now it wanted me to go seven or eight miles down this like County road. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to do this. Cause if I end up in the ditch or slide off or miss the road, uh, who's going to stumble across me? Do I have cell phone signal? So I, uh, I turned around and backtracked and ended up getting back on the same road. And, and I'm glad I did because as I traveled further south, conditions worsened. And uh, I was like in a, a line of cars, the car in front of me, uh, I could see at times. Sometimes I couldn't. There was a, a semi-truck behind me, and we were just cruising along at about 25 miles an hour, I think, on a, a road that was meant for about 50 so uh, it was interesting, but then I uh, broke free just about 15 minutes from Corey's house, and uh, the weather was good. And I was like, all right, we're good. We're, it's still snowing, but it's not as bad. The roads are clear. The, the snow trucks were coming through pretty regularly, so I was okay with that. And then, um, so I learned Pennsylvania, if you buy your license online, you can't like print them. I think they get, um, correct they get me mailed. if I'm wrong, but they, they, yeah, they, they get mailed to yeah. you because they mail you the, if you buy it online, they mail you the tags. And that's what I do every year. Cause I buy my license in June and July or yeah, June. So mm-hmm. I have plenty of time to get the tags and stuff mailed to me before the season starts. Your situation was a little bit different. You're bu- <laughs> buying it. So you could use it that day. So you needed to go to um, an actual license issuing agent to do that. And luckily, yep. I have one two miles down the road from my house. Um, and instead of stopping at the house, you went straight there, right? Yep, I went straight there and uh, uh, I walked in and they looked at me like I had two sets of ears and uh, I was like, hey, I'm here to buy a non-resident <laughs> hunting license. And uh, they're like, okay, we can help you with that. And I was like, and I need a, uh, was it the, is the muzzle, yep. muzzle loader yep. add-on? Muzzle loader stamp. Yeah. So I need the muzzle loader stamp as well. And they're like, okay, cool. And they go to the computer and they're like, oh, the system's down. And I was like, what, wait, what do you mean the system's down? They're like, I don't know. It says the system's down. And I was like, okay. Um, well, how long do you know how long until the system's back up? They're like, well, we don't really know. The last time it was down, it was down for a day and a half. Well, I will tell you that at this point in this trip, my trip was only a day and a half left because we had the day of the drive and then I was flying back on Sunday and then the half a day that I was currently residing in. So, uh, that was obstacle number two is, uh, the chance of not getting a license. So I text Corey and he and I chatted back and forth. And, uh, I told the guys, I was like, well, I guess I'll just look around the store and maybe we can check it in a few minutes or whatever. And they're like, yeah, you know, you can call back in a couple hours and see if it's back up. Like we're open till seven. I was like, okay. So Corey, what did you do? I, uh, I am of the generation of instant gratification. So I didn't like the answer that they (laughs) gave you. So I called the game commission directly 
and I, I talked to a dispatcher, and they said it was down earlier in the day for, like, routine maintenance, but it came back online a while ago, and that they just needed to restart their machine. So I gave you a call back to let you know that. Yep, and I, I asked them uh, very politely. I said, hey, uh, uh, we just talked with the game commission. They said, you just need to restart your computer. And you know what? Lo and behold, uh, we restarted the computer, <laughs> and, uh, and and I got my license. So we were all good there. By that time, I got got back in the car, got to Corey's house, changed my clothes, and then yeah, Corey so, was home from work. Yeah, so, so the, we, we hunted just like the last hour, hour and a half of that of that evening so um we just took one gun because we were sitting together and we went to a friend's property thank you paul um uh, thanks paul sat uh, a very nice very nice yeah, stick fort kids have a stick <laughs> fort back in the woods and we sat in there for a while the deer like to come through there in the evening and he actually got both his buck and doe from right there uh, in the rifle season so i was like you know Last last hour of the day, if it, anything comes through, we have a good chance. But we uh, we didn't see anything. Yeah, uh, still really cold, uh, snowing some still. And then uh, we packed up and and uh, went back to your place. And what we had the uh, Mississippi roast, venison, yeah. Mississippi roast, right? It's good stuff. Yeah, which was delicious and then we also found out in the same moment that we both love mississippi roasts and that uh that we we have a recipe on harvest in nature too if you go check it out i'll throw that in the show notes um but you can check that out it's actually becoming a really popular recipe i think across the board and um really for that one of the key things i think is the what are the pepperon peppercinis is that what you call them Pepperoncinis, yeah. You throw those in there. Some ranch dressing, uh, a couple uh, other things. Yeah, and the ranch dressing mix, au jus mix. But I, yep. uh, we half it. We only put half the packets in because it gets too salty otherwise. Yeah, and I think uh, when I when I did the recipe for the website, uh, I don't think I used the packets. I think I did. Uh, I may have used some other spices to imitate that. So. Um, it doesn't come out salty, I promise. Um, so whichever one you want to go with, uh, it, it's a good recipe because you can throw it in the crock pot and just yeah. kind of leave it all day and then get it in the evening. And it was good. We had it on sandwiches with some brioche buns. Oh man, hungry just <laughs> thinking about it. So um, once we got back from the evening hunt, I wanted you to shoot the gun so you knew how to, what the feel of the, the flintlock was. No, yeah, was, yeah, that was fun. You did good. You actually hit what you were aiming at. I mean, it was like I did what thirty yards away. I hit a milk jug. Ish yards, yeah. We'll we'll round up thirty. That <laughs> <laughs> sounds better. Yeah, that's I like uh, I like even that's numbers. Cool. Right. <laughs> but uh, so we shot my gun, and so we needed to clean mine and reload, and then. Um, my dad brought up his gun so that Justin could use for Saturday. So we were getting everything cleaned up and then getting loaded, started to get loaded. And we ran into our third issue of the trip. And um, the spring that uh, makes the hammer close, which 
causes the spark, which causes the explosion. Um, that spring was broken in my dad's gun. I don't, I don't know how it got broken, but um, so the there was no. It was a it was pretty solid spring too. It's not like yeah, you think of like, like a, a, you know, a, a pen spring or something, you know, frail. It's like a bent piece yeah, of steel. A, yeah, thick piece of. It's not a spring as like as you would think as like a bed springs or something like that. It's like, I don't know, Rod, what would, what would you call it? Uh, a spring. <laughs> a spring, yeah. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> solid. <laughs> but. Yeah. It, it's just like a, kind of an angled piece of steel that yep. you put tension on. It is, is I kind of visibly but, observed. Uh, it. So, um, yeah, that was broken in the gun. I'm not sure how it happened. I I've done some research or uh searching online to see if I can get a replacement. They're only like 10 bucks to replace. There's nothing difficult and I already was able to get the old one out. It's just a matter of buying the new one and putting it in. So it's it's not a huge deal, but at 8 o'clock on a Friday evening in rural Pennsylvania, you're not going to find too many options to get to get one for the next morning. So, um, we had to make a, a couple phone calls to see if we can wrangle up another gun. And luckily, Rod's son, Jason, well, I shouldn't say luckily, he, he wasn't able to go with us on Saturday because he had, his daughters weren't feeling well. So we took advantage of his misfortune and, uh, borrowed his gun and turns out, you know, the next day, we mentioned that to Rod. Hey, Rod, we we borrowed Jason's gun, and Rod was like, "Well, actually, that's that's my gun." <laughs> yeah, so I don't know if I ever told you thank you, Rod, yeah. but thank you. <laughs> I thought it looked awful familiar. <laughs> You're like, man, that guy's got a sweet looking gun over there. <laughs> so, um, no, and but that that allowed us to kind of and. Uh, Jason like set us up uh with like a full kit. Yep. Yep. So we went and picked that up and thank you to Jason and Rod for that and gave us the kit. So mm-hmm. showed Justin how to how to load it and how to make the the speed loaders. So the speed speed loaders are I remember seeing my dad have them as a kid and I'm, I always wondered what are those things? I, you know, I couldn't imagine what you could use. But them it's for. essentially. But it's essentially like a like a tube, tube, a plastic tube about four in, three or four inches long, uh, half inch in diameter, and has caps on each end. So what you do is you put your uh, projectile on one end, whether it's um, a patched round ball or uh, a sabotaged bullet. Um, and put the cap on, and then on the other side, you dump in your powder charge. So that way, in the woods, when you take a shot, you got to reload quickly. You can do it as quickly as possible. Um, pop the cap off that has the powder in it, dump that in, pop the cap on the other side, and hold the tube over the muzzle of the gun, and use your ramrod to get the go to push the projectile from the tube into the muzzle 
So I, I think the easiest way to think about uh, the speed loader is if you think about you watch like uh, the Civil War, like the Revolutionary War movies, and you see those guys after they shoot their musket, they've got their musket and they pull out like it's like a little paper cartridge and they bite it and they pour the powder in there and they drop the ball in there and all that stuff. That's pretty much what we're doing, but it's like a modern version of it with a plastic tube and it's a the when you pop the patched ball in there and by patch ball it's like the ball uh i, I guess it's lead ball yeah. Corey. lead ball with a yeah. like a cloth patch like yeah. exactly as it sounds and you push that in there and it kind of holds it in there so then whenever you you uh put it in there you have to use your the what uh, is it the loader starter know, starter use the starter <laughs> I'm going to butcher all these technical terms. It's my goal. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so it, it, but it helps save time. I think we should have ran some drills <laughs> that night, Corey. Well, like, uh, hey, let's unload, load this real never quick. Never load it fast enough to get a follow-up shot. They're always gone by the time you have a follow-up shot. So just as long as, you know, what is it? Slow is smooth, smooth is fast. So There you go. Yeah, because then if you drop the speed powder, loader and yeah, you dump and powder everywhere and like yeah. you lose the ball, like yep. you start all over. But so the powder's measured yeah. too, right? Everybody shoots different different types of powder, different grains. I, I heard varied. I don't know what uh, what you guys shoot differently. Feel free to let us know. Because what we were sh- was it nine? Yeah, I, I shoot eighty grains of three F powder uh, with a patched round ball and. You were shooting with Jason's gun was, I believe, 90 grains of 3F Swiss powder, a little bit different um, with a patched round ball. So we were similar, but you had a little bit more powder and a little different manufacturer of powder, so it, it behaves a little bit differently. Yeah, and Rod, do you what do you normally shoot out of yours? Right, you have a, a different gun now. I shoot anywhere from ninety to hundred grains of either. Usually, two F you can shoot a little bit more of because I believe it's a little bit larger. And the three F's finer. Mm-hmm. And then in your pan powder, I think most pan powder is like four F. Yep. Okay. Yeah, and that's that's what we I think in both both we had too. And it's exactly like you think of it, like in the movies too, where they just take pour it in there using the little. Uh, I don't know. You have what? What's your? What's the one that you have called, Corey? Where it's, it's kind a of touch the, plunger. You, it, you push you, on the the spout, and it comes out. And yours was more like a powder horn type thing, but it was plastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that was pretty cool. I like yeah. that one. That was your dad's too, so it was neat. So. Um, uh, yep. So we learned how at this point. I've learned how to to load it, and I, I've used I've used muzzle loaders before. I've shot inline muzzle loaders before. My very first uh, black powder rifle was a uh, was it percussion cap, I think. So very much the same, but I shot uh, the sabots out of it um, whenever I shot my first doe. That was a long time ago. I think I was like 18 years old. Um, but I never shot a flintlock before. It's it's awesome. I, I loved it. It was fun. We shot it that one time that night, and then uh, 
we we fast forward so we go to bed after a long day of traveling uh despite trying to stay up and chat and then uh what we we get up next the next morning to go meet everybody and uh that's when i kind of start learning about the dynamics of uh of the Pennsylvania deer drive so i'll let you take it yeah, from there well, Corey. well we always meet at the parking lot of this one restaurant and I don't know, someone said it was a bad omen, but I think it was a good omen. We're all sitting in the parking lot and it, uh, waiting for everybody to get there. And it's just, you know, the sun hasn't risen yet, but it's starting to get light. And we see a deer bedded down in the woods, like 70 yards from the parking lot. I, I, I think it was a yeah, good, I think it was a good yeah, omen. Yeah, seeing how, remembering how the day went, you know, after that, I would say it was a good omen, um. But I, I forget who said it was a bad omen, but I think it was a good one. Um, but it was funny because, you know, there's 15 guys standing there waiting to go shoot some deer. And there's a deer right there watching all of us. <laughs> and there's nothing we could do about it because it was right next, you know, right next to the house. It's like, uh, I, think so, I think some guys wanted to, to pull out the guns to shoot it, but it probably wasn't a good idea. No, no, because I think somebody pulled out Onyx, and they were yeah, like, nope, yeah, that was yeah, land, it was private so. land too." But so one thing was like, I was I was very hopeful for that day because of the fact that it had been snowing the day before. And did you guys have snow the day before that? Like, it was was it a couple no, days or just that one was, day? It was fresh stuff. It was fresh that. Yeah, but it it yeah. snowed a good amount. Yeah, it was it was perfect conditions uh, um, for flintlock hunting. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, <laughs> it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the year before it was a little bit mis- misty yeah, and damp did. out, you know. So we were definitely dry, but it was uh, fourteen degrees, if I remember checking my phone with my shivering fingers. Yeah, and you're the guy there in the in the blue jeans. <laughs> they were insulated, but yeah. <laughs> I was like, I couldn't. I had like four layers on. It's it was cold for me, and I was even out in colder the weekend before here in Colorado. But I think I, I want to go back to that that dry part. So the dry versus misty, and can you guys elaborate why that's important for for uh, flintlock? Science, <laughs> science, <laughs> ways to science, science. Um, so yeah, yeah. Obviously, when it's misty, it it's wet out. There's moisture in the air, so that moisture affects the powder in your pan. Um, so when mm-hmm. you pull the trigger and that flint hits the frizzen and creates a spark, if you have wet powder in your pan, it's not going to go off. And we experienced that last year. There was that first drive. Um, I think we had four misfires, and I Rod was one of them. I was one of them, and I, a couple other guys misfired as well. But this year it was completely different conditions it was cold but dry we had snow on the ground so you could see really well um and the air was really dry you know that dry winter air so everybody well we had some misfires during the day but i I think it was more gun malfunctions than it was powder issues like i shot my gun gun multiple times and each time it, it went off you know almost you know almost as instantaneous as instantaneous as a flintlock can be um so from that standpoint we had pretty much perfect weather 
Yeah. And I mean, the sun, the clouds went away, the sun came out. So the weather itself was like, it was chilly, but it, you know, it was comfortable. You could be in the sun and it layered up with some gloves and, and hat. Uh, I don't think it was too, too bad. Um, the other thing I want to say, so th- there's an important thing here that really up until like getting there and participating in the first drive that I never really thought about. And you and I talked about it later of like why deer drives work especially in late season. Um, and you told, what was it? You told me uh, because the deer just kind of stay bedded down when it's super cold. Yeah, like they're that. not, when it when it's that cold, they're not going to want to be up and moving um, too much. Like that time in the year, food is, is top priority on their list. So they, they go, I, I don't think they stray too far from food sources. So you got to, to see them, you mm-hmm. got to get up, get in there and push them out, get them up and running so you can actually see them. Yep. And so let's, let's talk about, uh, kind of the layout of the drive, like what, what goes into the planning. Any, if anybody wants to take, take the detail to that one, cause I'll probably <laughs> destroy the description. Um, but you get, look at the terrain kind of the numbers of people you have and like where you expect the deer to be is that am i guessing right yeah um another thing too it's it's important i think to have enough guys because if uh if those deer find a, a void or a gap they're gonna shoot for it Mm-hmm. so placements and i think that that happened that happened on the first drive despite us having Shit. good numbers and they kind of, I heard there was a, there was a big herd that pushed over towards the road, uh, which kind of moved, nobody was sitting along the road. I think there was one guy sitting along the road, but everybody else was kind of spread out uh, away from yeah, the road. The, the first drive, the first two drives that we did, we have done the last several years, and each year you, you learn something, and you start to figure out the patterns and the the paths that the deer like to take um so we we use that information to, to set up in strategic locations and then to have the drivers the pushers come in and, and walk through certain areas um with this drive there is a section of uh posted property that's right next to the national forest and we always there's all we need always need to have someone get as close to that uh, post property as possible because because it's posted they're not getting pressured so if you get close to it you get them up and out of there and and into the drive and um, we just you doing the same drive every year like it, it you know we learn a lot and have figured out okay they either go here here or here. And even knowing that, they go other places too, but we did have deer go where we thought they would. I got a shot that first drive. You saw mm-hmm. you saw the same deer that I saw. They just were a little bit too far for you, correct? Yep. Yeah, so, um, so you guys put me kind of like at an intersection point. Uh, there was like kind of an open field and then uh, like a power line trail. And you're pretty much like, stand here. And I was like, what? You're like, Look yeah, over there. stand here. <laughs> it's going to be over. 
yeah, look, look that way. It's going to be over in like an hour and then, you know, we'll move on. And I was just like, my mind was blown. Cause you know, when I think about whitetail hunting, I think about like growing up in Oklahoma and it's like, all right, they drive you out on the four wheeler and they're like, here's your deer stand. like sit here, don't move. We'll come get you at noon, you know, come, you'll get lunch and then go back out. And, uh, for it to be like kind of that short time frame and kind of, you know, you know what to expect because you're standing there and like people are pushing deer towards you. And you literally just have to wait until you see the deer. And it's just like, wow, okay, this is great. And then, you know, but still in the back of my mind, I'm like, I don't know. Is this, is this going to, am I going to see the deer? What if the deer, I don't see them. And, uh, they just kind of like move past me. And so there I am just standing like with this muzzle loader and I'm just like, all right, I'm here. Uh, it's cold. I'm standing here. I've got my shooting stick in one hand. I got the, the muzzle or the flintlock in the other and I'm just waiting. And then, uh, uh, a few minutes into it, I see like, I see the, the deer, there's like four deer and you were, Corey, you were down probably 60 yards down the hill, kind of out of the way, uh, for me to my right. And I watched the deer like, Oh, there go the deer. And, uh, I was like, Oh, they're going towards Corey. And I kind of just sit and I'm like, well, unfortunately they're too far. Like, I had ranged everything already, so I knew kind of, you know, I'm going to try to shoot something within 50 yards because I'd never shot the flintlock before, um, you know, at an animal, and uh, I wanted to be comfortable in that. So I was like, 50 is a good range. I ranged everything. They were like just out of that, probably 60, 70, 80. But I saw, and there was like five of them move, and then probably um, – I, and I think I saw another deer after that that I spooked. I don't know if I was putting my bino, my binoculars or my rangefinder back in my harness, but I just saw, like, you know, the white tail just kind of go off. And I was like, well, hopefully I didn't scare them off. But I also am thinking in the back of my mind, like, there's somebody still walking towards me, so they're still pushing deer towards towards our direction. And then about three, four minutes later, I hear Corey's shot, um, which – which I'll, I'll let you tell your your side of the the same yeah, deer. Yeah, where I was looking over, I didn't have a whole lot of room. I was looking down the right away, so I could see down the right away if they came out down below me, and in front of me, I just had this little bit of hillside, and that's where they came up through, and uh, I I saw them through some brush and hemlocks, and I couldn't. It, too much stuff in the way so I had to wait for a little bit but I should have waited longer that was that's always my my mistake is I needed to be more patient and but I was patient enough with these and they came into a clear view and it was like 50 yards and uh, you could tell they were they were looking back at something so I knew the drivers were coming through and if I didn't shoot I would lose my opportunity I don't think they think they would have stayed up on that hillside and and went continued down down instead of coming closer to me so that's why i shot when i shot um but i'm, I'm sure i flinched uh because i always do for i don't practice enough with my flintlock um so i i, I took a shot checked over there they could see their tracks coming in and their tracks going out no blood no nothing so I uh, whiffed it on that first shot. And I was hoping they would go down the hill more because Tony and his son were sitting down the hill. But I think what they did is they just turned and went straight away from me and kind of circled back behind the drivers. 
So Tony didn't, or did they? They went down further downhill. Didn't they went out of the way because uh, the guys? Yeah, I think they just kind of they kind of paralleled everyone and just kind of stayed just out of uh, just out of rifle range. Yeah, because yeah, they said they saw him down on uh, closer to the river um, after I took a shot. So, but so th- that first drive we saw, or I those were the only deer that I saw for that drive. But uh, the drivers saw several groups of several big groups of deer. Um, I know. Joe took a shot, but his gun misfired. I'm not sure why it misfired, but um, it didn't go off. So he lost an opportunity. Um, I think it was there was a there was a gap. Uh, he had a, a either his flint was too close or too far away the from frizen. the the frizzen once it was down. And Rod, you were driving on that one. You were walking, uh, correct? Yeah, all of the all of the all that's all I did all day long was the drives. And did, did you see any on that first drive? I seen them where they got, the deer got between us and the road, and they were running back. They got between another driver and myself and went the direction we were coming uh, they, from. And, Chris, you were you were set up too, but uh, did you see any on that first drive? Yeah, I saw, uh, I'd say about eight or so, but just, you know, just out of range. And they were uh, they were moving pretty good. Yeah, that that was pretty common theme for the day. Is the ones we did see were were moving. You had to be quick to uh, to get a shot off. I think that that yeah, that was a common theme throughout. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Uh, we'll go ahead. We can talk about the second drive because that was that kind was, of yeah. That, that was, my that was I think there. that was the the most successful drive in terms of opportunities. That the that first one I shot at um, on the first drive that was one of the better opportunities for me of the day because it was actually standing still and presented a broadside shot. And I, I'm a little ups- I'm real upset at myself that I completely whiffed on it. Um, but that's pretty – but I don't feel as bad because everybody else <laughs> throughout the day missed or had issues. Um, so, you know, misery loves company, right? Yeah. <laughs> so so my uh, – the second drive for me um, presented me with an opportunity to uh, 
for a deer. So I was kind of sitting there very much the same. This time I was sitting on a, a fallen tree uh, versus um, standing and- there. <laughs> but I still had I still had the rifle in one hand and my shooting stick in the other and was still ready. Well, the, Go the ahead, second Corey. drive is essentially we just the some of the standers essentially just turned around and looked the other way, and and some of the other standers repositioned had to walk several hundred yards. But the drivers went yep. in from a, the opposite direction and then pushed back. and And this drive was kind of like. Uh, what you want for a drive, we had deer ping-ponging between standers. So I think, but anyway, yeah. go, go back to what you were saying. So that that part was super exciting, and I'll, I'll get into that in a second because then we can we can talk about your shots, Corey. But so uh, I was sitting there. I decided to have a little snack and some water and then kind of the, cause it took everybody a little bit to get in position. And then the, the pusher started and it, it wasn't very long after the pusher started that the deer started moving and the five deer that ran in front of me were probably, they probably ran across it like, initially 40 yards 40 or 50 yards from my right kind of out behind a fallen tree and there were four four running really fast and then there was one running with them and you know i tried to stop it's ironic though Corey, that we talked about that morning because you're like you know how to stop a running deer and i was like yeah like man he's giving the old man and so i was like man 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 and the deer is still the deer is still running i'm like man man and finally those four just like kept going, but one doe peeled off and stopped and she stopped like 25 yards. And so my, my whole thought, uh, like as I was reflecting on it after was that those four deer must've got jumped by the pushers probably way on the other end where they came in at. And they were just running all across that little section of land. And they probably jumped up that alone doe who joined in with them because I don't know why, uh, if it was a group of deer, why she, why she would have broke off from her her friends or family? I guess that's a weird way to put it, but whatever. <laughs> um, but she stopped 25 yards from me, and there was another fallen tree, and so it was slanted slightly, and the the basically the vitals, the top of the area of the vitals were just at the top of the log. Um, but the, the four deer had ran. I could still see them as I pulled up the rifle and was lining up on her. I could still see the four deer running towards where Corey was set up at. And so I was like, I, I don't want to wait, you know, a couple seconds to see if she's going to move. Because more than likely, she's going to be like, oh, there's something up. Like this guy's standing 25 yards away from me, pointing a flintlock at me. I'm going to run away too. So I just kind of put. I put my crosshairs on the top of that log and, you know, the top of where the vitals were kind of their intersection point and just like squeezed. And, you know, it was like click, boom. And, uh, within, when that few seconds, um, she, I, I didn't see, like I hit her. Um, she kind of, she ran, she didn't run very fast. She ran a little slow kind of downhill towards where the river was, uh, so it would have been directly in front of me and she just kind of like trotted off. I, uh, the, the other four deer kept going towards Corey and then 
Um, I kind of paused for a little bit, reloaded, and then I heard Corey shoot. Yeah, I I heard you go meh meh, so I I was ready, and <laughs> those those four came directly at me full speed, and um, they would have ran over me if I didn't shoot. So I tried I tried to shoot it like head on, but they were running. It was it was it was not a high percentage this when this it's when you shout bayonets <laughs> and you just put the bayonet on there and just get right. ready for the charge <laughs> it was it was not a high percentage uh shot but i tried um and missed so and they that was self-defense right, right. so yeah <laughs> but it, that and that it, spot you were sitting at is a lucky spot that's Almost. Ex- That's where you shot your one first one, right? right? Right where you were sitting, and there's a good spot. spot. Uh, so, and then Chris, you were sitting over near Corey, right? Well, that's that's what I was just going to ask. Um, I was pretty close to Corey, so I don't know if I was between you two, but I saw those four right before he shot. I saw the little plume from the frizzin, you know just up over the hill so you must have been off to my left i i was to your right chris i was just to your right correct and and justin yeah and then further, i would have right. been yeah. further to the right yeah okay yeah they were <laughs> flying <laughs> yeah. man it, like i said it was not a high so, percentage shot <laughs> <laughs> it, it's okay i mean uh so i went down i followed the tracks down probably like 50 yards 50 60 yards no sign of blood at the shot uh you know the snow was good the snow we had some challenges kind of tracking uh that day because the snow was there but oh, there's so many there were so many tracks uh, in there so you, you could get um mixed up real easy following a set of tracks I, I was I was fairly confident in mine because as I was reloading I was watching her move. She I never saw anything that indicated she was hit. She was just moving slow. I mean, who knows? I, I don't know I don't know what it's like to have a flintlock fired at me from twenty five yards, so I would imagine she was probably stunned in some accord, but um I, I never never saw any indication that there was a wound, so I just counted it as a miss and uh kinda went back to my spot and set and got ready. And I'm glad I did because yeah, the, the you drivers earlier, weren't even the, halfway done with that drive when we took those two shots. No, but then the deer ping ponged, like you said. They got all the way to the end of where uh, people were sitting at, and then they pushed and, back. Might have been uh, even another set because Joe shot, and uh, he said he shot at a doe that was with a buck, and then shortly after that, a single doe. Uh, trotted past me and that it was probably my best chance of the day and i should have tried to make a noise to get it to stop because it, it wasn't running full i heard i heard i heard yeah, me yeah. <laughs> just just gonna throw that out there <laughs> i i it was it wasn't running full speed it was trotting and it was pretty close i mean it was embarrassingly close with me still missing but it it went right by me, and I think that deer got shot at twice and made it out. And then I saw the deer as well, 
I saw that same deer because after you shot, I saw like a deer come into my view, but it was like probably a hundred yards uh, away, 150 yards away from me because I just saw it like through the brush I, I and think I lost it. Would have gone right to you um, if I went in a shot. It was angling that way, but once I shot it, it, it angled oh, down. But I couldn't take that chance. You know, who knows where it would have gone? <laughs> no, no way. Exactly. No, no, no. I, I, I wouldn't expect any different, and I, you know, I would do the same. Like it's there. So and yeah, I think I shot twice on that drive. You shot once, and I think Joe shot twice on that drive. Still, no, no deer. <laughs> and I think no deer. So everybody we're, we're, saw uh, some. I don't know about Jeff and his grandson Joe. Joey were sitting to your right. I don't know if they saw a deer on that drive. I. Yeah, because we never we never they, caught up yeah, with they them because they left. Um, but I yeah, I would be curious if they saw those four deer because they were also I think a little they were further to my right, but I think they may have been a little further. Yeah, they, back. he said he was gonna like closer, yeah, closer up, to the trail, closer or higher up on the the ridge. So interesting. So then from there we did like a mini drive uh, on the peninsula which all you guys saw was the one trapper coming in checking his traps uh and then yeah and then that was that was so, it. We so reset. those first two drives are the ones that we know the best that have produced deer and we've kind of figured out where they're go going and then the the peninsula we we do is kind of like a quick drive because it's right there and then then we went across the road and we just started doing that drive we did it once once or twice before but it was we saw a bunch of deer before so we set up a little bit differently this time um and i think everybody saw deer except me on that drive i i set up too low i needed to be higher up on a bench i saw you know i i got put you guys are like hey go sit on the, the gas pipeline area there and um basically it's just like a clear cut probably 20 30 feet wide and um i i debated back and forth myself of going in like because i went in probably 25 30 yards and set right there but i was like man it really looks good like a little further in i was like but i don't want the deer to like pop out and then end up across the road and we kind of because the whole purpose of the deer drive is you're like you're setting up this blockade basically in whatever formation and that when we were like in an l so we had guys you know 25 yards in from 25 30 yards in from the road and then at the very end we had you know what would be the shorter portion of the l or the bottom portion with with cory and another guy there and then the pushers came in um you know kind of in an arch covering between the two points of the L, if you could imagine it visually. Yeah, that's that a good way. description. And they kind of pushed everything down. Thanks. I pride myself in my visual <laughs> descriptions. <laughs> um, but so the exact spot that I was like, I think I should set up there, but I don't want to create like an, an M in this L. So I uh, I decided just to stay put. That's exactly where I saw deer cross. And I saw like six deer. Then I saw three deer. And then uh, one of the pushers came through. And then I think it was Joe was to my left. And um, Joe took a shot at a deer uh, right after the pushers came through. 
which I never saw, and I could see I could see Joe. So had he not taken that shot, I'm surprised I didn't see the where the deer ran because he said it it ran kind of towards my direction and it ran back up the hill. So it would have been further away from me. But um, it was very interesting. And then who was it? Tony? Yeah, one, Tony of, the, take one a of the drivers, Tony, took a shot. And Jeremy said he he tried to take several shots, but his gun was wasn't working. The flint wasn't making any spark on the frizzen so there could have been several shots by the drivers on on that one um which that was the first one that any of the drivers shot because none of them shot correct yeah but yeah the l where i was at i needed to be further up because um john was next to me and he was further up on the bench and he saw a ton of deer uh but he was using a crossbow so he, he his shots, I think, are a little more limited than with the flintlock. If I would have been 100 yards up up the hill and on that bench, I would have seen a lot of deer and maybe been able to take a shot. But I, st- I stayed low thinking they would come to that corner, and they didn't. It was also very thick, uh, I, I think. And, Rod, you walked through the most of it, so... Um... It, not necessarily thick for walking, yeah, I think but like thick for the shooting. shooting part of it was a little, little bit tougher than the walking part. And then one of the things I think too is with the drivers, it, like for me, it was hard. It was you didn't know where the other drivers were, so you were trying to go at a slow pace. But yet I see where the other drivers they would be at the end, and I, I hadn't even caught up yet. So that's a tough part of it is. You just don't know where the other drivers are in relationship to you, so you hope you hope that you all finish about the same time. But that wasn't always the case. Yeah, that that drive there across the road, we need to better coordinate. We don't have that one down pat quite yet. I think we're going to get there, but because I think an important thing to point out in that one is too is like. Now we're going throughout the day and like through the initial drive, through the initial drive, you've got like full strength. So we had what, 15 guys. And then by like the third or fourth drive, we're starting, like the numbers are starting to dwindle. So then that, that plays into effect of one, like how many sitters you can get, how many pushers you're, you know, moving across an area because two part of the pushers is like, you're kind of, uh, I'm going to speed walk a little bit to try to move the deer this way or, you know, how, however, however that plays out. But um, that, I think, also didn't play into our advantage in that particular spot as well. Yeah. yeah. And on the, the last drive there, before the gas line, there was probably six deer that ran up the hill ahead of me, and I, I couldn't get them turned. Yeah. What were you going to say, Chris? Well, I was uh, just wondering if it might be something to try across the street first next year. Would that make any sense? Just uh, switch it up? Yeah, yeah, because get those ones across the road to come on, across the road and go into the drive for the the next drive, the drive that we normally do first. Yeah, that's a good idea. Just a thought. Yeah, because then, then we, so after that drive across the street, we went back to the initial drive and set up just slightly different, and then you guys pushed that one again, and yeah, people still I saw, saw deer. I saw deer feeding. Like, we had pushed that out first thing in the morning, and our last drive, 
was, you know, those four drives, you know, a couple hours each one getting set up and going. By the time we did that last one, it was, you know, almost, it was like after four. So we knew it was our last one. So we couldn't travel too far to do another one. So we decided to do the first one over again. And um, when I got set up, after a few minutes, I saw a deer making their way through just feeding. So, you know, just letting it sit the afternoon, they, they got comfortable again just to, to get up and feed. Which is which is interesting. So, I mean, too, it, it warmed up a little bit, too. The sun was out. I, I never saw any deer that last drive. Um, I just enjoyed, like, this nice little creek bottom. It was really nice. Just kind of sat there and uh, probably had another snack and some water <laughs> and just hung out. <laughs> so, uh, and then after that, that was it. So, all in all, Corey, do you have the total tally of, of shots, misfires, and, I, and deer? I know we took eight shots. Um, there was multiple misfires. I don't know how many misfires Jeremy had. I know Joe had two. Uh, Jeremy had multiple because he just couldn't mm-hmm. get his gun to work. Um, but definitely eight shots and uh, zero deer. Zero deer. Zero deer. But there was tons yeah. of deer. I know. I probably saw 15, 15 deer, I think, yeah, at least about throughout the day. Yeah, how many I saw. Rod? Uh, how, how many guys, Rod and Chris, how many guys did you, did deer, did you guys see? Let's see. 12 maybe and and yeah and you were just there chris you were there for the first two two drives drives, right Right. yep just for the first two i probably see at least a dozen and that's as a driver it's pretty good so is is that normal is that normal for you guys during uh during the late season normal as for this drive or normal in late season in general Both. <laughs> when we, when we do these drives, we normally see deer, but I feel like this was the most deer we've seen, and the la- we've done this for the last what five years. I think that's the most deer we've seen, in the five years that we've done this, I would say. Um, cool. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. It, it was a good amount of deer. I mean, I, I just think of it contextually. So, I, I you know, my last deer hunting for the last three years has been either in Florida or it's been out here in the West. And it's just like, it is so much different. And, and just the thought, I, I was thinking about this on the way back. It's just like, man, where is the secret of the deer drive been hiding at for my entire life? Like, <laughs> it's, it's commonplace for you guys, but I'm just... Why why isn't this something that I grew up doing? Why did I just spend my time sitting in a stand versus like, you know, we we did we did all those drives throughout the day and like the day went by in like a blink yeah, of an eye. It was it, great. It it's something that you I mean, you can do drives. We've done drives before with just like two, three people, but you can really coordinate mm-hmm. a good well thought out drive with a lot of people. You can hit more areas and and be more successful because you have more people obviously you have more people mm-hmm. more guns more eyes looking for deer you can and get more deer than if you had just a couple people but if you know the area well 
if you know where the deer like the bed and you know the routes they like to take you can you can set up very strategically and and be successful and and i think we we definitely for the first two drives that we did we've we've i think we figured it out pretty well and have been successful we've i mean we've only taken three deer in in the la in the last five years that we've hunted there but we there's every year someone has an opportunity um you know we had eight missed shots this yeah. year last year i know myself personally i missed twice or was that that was two years ago uh last year when it was misty out we had four people misfire on that first drive uh the year before i missed twice my dad missed once uh year before that tony got one year before that Jeremy and I both got one so you know each year there's opportunities once you know we figured them out figured the, how to do it so we get the opportunities to do it we just have to connect and we just have to practice yeah so I, I mean I think it's good all right so that's pretty much the day uh do, do you guys have anything to add kind of in there any tidbits uh kind of throughout the day either about like deer drives overall or or about the day that that we had if not we'll do uh oh sorry chris go ahead oh well i was just it was a really good time man just a really good yeah. time. yeah i i had a blast so i i appreciate you guys letting me tag along but uh so barring any other questions or comments we kind of this is like the last section we have where uh we give everybody the opportunity for like a last thought you don't have to have one but if you want to pass if you want to ask a question uh to us if you want to pass something on to the audience if you want to you know sell the great state of pennsylvania uh this this is the time to do it and i'll go ahead and Corey, i'll let you lead off since uh you're familiar with this thank you both chris and ron for coming on i wish I wish some of the other guys were available to come on because it would have been nice to uh, get other perspectives as well. Uh, but thank you guys for coming on tonight, and thank you for coming out and hunting with us. And because uh, it's, you know, I, I see you guys like once or twice a year, but it it's it's always a good time. So I appreciate that. Um, and I I'm hoping um, we Justin come out next year even if he does i'm gonna enjoy enjoy those hunts <laughs> <laughs> hopefully we'll see uh chris do you have a you have a last thought or comment um just uh like i said uh, looking forward to next year you know hopefully you can make it out and uh don't be dissuaded because you didn't get one this year because there's always next year oh no i'm i'm like plotting my revenge i'm ready to come back <laughs> the sequel <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, how about you, Rod? Uh, I'm just looking forward to next comments? year, and maybe I'll be carrying the old muzzleloader. Yeah, there you go. I think I think if I if I come out next year, I may have to take. I'm going to do, do a little That's bit good of pushing. Way to learn the area, because I didn't know it until this year, and now I've got yeah. to know it a little bit better. I think too the the ideal thing would be on a drive if you if the drivers if you could see your driver to the left and the other driver to the right and you went down through that'd be a perfect drive because then you wouldn't have the deer get between you but you'd need a lot of people to do that. 
Yeah, that, that's true. That plays in that numbers game we mentioned earlier. But, um, yeah, for me, I, I appreciate, like I said, I appreciate you guys letting me come out. Corey, thanks for the invite. Thanks for the hospitality. Uh, you have such a cool family. It was awesome hanging out with them. Your kids are so cool. I got to see all the Lego inventions. Um, <laughs> be proud of their engineering skills already. They like, they like new visitors. So, yeah, new no, audience. it's awesome. And, uh, from, from what I saw of Pennsylvania, I think that was my first time ever kind of staying in western Pennsylvania. I passed through there before, but uh, it, it was nice. I'd like to come back when there's not a lot of snow in the area. Well, your, your visit, license but, uh, that you bought is good for spring turkey, so you, you can come out in April or May. Well, we'll have to see. Maybe May. Turkey drive. I'm on a <laughs> yeah, turkey, turkey, turkey drive. drive. I'm on a... Uh, a self-imposed three-month travel ban, so uh, I, I won't be going out of the state of Colorado for a couple months uh, to recoup some energy. So, um, but no, I think it was a great trip, and and overall had a blast. I learned a ton. Uh, got to shoot a new flintlock, a uh, new weapon. Learned to shoot a new weapon. I uh, shot at something, which is the f- the first one of the first right. steps to actually shooting a deer. Uh, so there's there's that, but. Yeah, uh, I thank everybody for hopping on tonight, and I I thank everybody out there listening. So be sure to uh, check the show notes. We include all the links there, so all the things that we've talked about that are linkable, the Mississippi Roast, uh, the previous podcast episode from last year where they get more into the the technical aspects of of the rifle and uh, flintlock hunting. Those will be included there. And uh, as always, you know, whatever podcast platform. One thing I want to do before we before we sign off, I just want to make sure we thank all the guys that did come out and and hunt and. Oh yeah. Um, I don't know if if you want to run through the list of names, just uh, to shout them out and say thank you. I will. Let me. um, Goodness, let me pull up the list here. Hopefully, I don't butcher anybody's names. Uh, all right, here we go. So, uh, I'll also give a shout out and thanks to everybody who, uh, participated in the hunt. So, uh, John Cook, Jeremy Criswell, John Criswell, Tony Finelli, Matt Wilson, Joe McGraw, Corey, Joe Arrett, Adam Elms, Jeff Manilik, Chris Nelson. Oh, well, yep. Justin Townsend and, uh, Rod, Rod Nobles. Oh, hey, I said thanks to myself. <laughs> uh, no, uh, thanks, everybody. You, you made it probably a very memorable, definitely a memorable hunt for me. So thanks for all the, the sitting and pushing of deer that you did. Uh, everybody that either sat or pushed appreciates the effort of the other because it all plays a part in this really cool symbiotic relationship that, that we have. I guess, is it symbiotic or mutualistic? Mutualistic relationship. Let me go back to seventh grade biology. But um, either way, uh, thank everybody for participating in the drive. Thanks, guys, for getting on tonight. And uh, I I thank everybody out there that uh, is listening. Um, Check the links for the show notes. We talked about Mississippi Pot Roast. We talked about the technicalities uh, of Flintlock, which will be in a previous – was in a previous episode. And then, as always, whatever podcast platform you're listening to, punch that five-star button, leave us a review, tell us what we're doing wrong, or, you know, tell us what we're doing right. Thanks, everybody. Have a good night.
brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. When you go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know, right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.